This is the Beyond the Studio podcast. I'm Amanda Adams. And I'm Nicole Muller, and we're here to help you figure out the business of being an artist. Here we'll have honest conversations with artists, makers, and business experts, and dive deep into the work that happens beyond the studio. If you find value in listening to these conversations, please consider leaving us a rating and a review or sharing some of your favorite episodes with your creative community. It's the easiest way to show us some love and help others find the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, I'm Nicole. And I'm Amanda. We wanted to tell you about Change Lab, a long-form interview podcast that explores the transformative power of creativity. Hosted by Lauren M. Buckman, the show is produced by Art Center College of Design, a global leader in art and design education. As Lauren discusses in his new book, Make to Know, and as his guests confirm, creativity is not a matter of instant enlightenment. Rather, it's a process of braving the unknown and route to knowing what it is that we're meant to make. This ninth season lineup includes interviews with author Amy Bender, visual artist Anne Hamilton, Whirlpool design chief Tisha Johnson, Lincoln Park performer and illustrator Mike Shinoda, and pioneering installation artist Diana Thader. Change Lab shines a spotlight on the little and big dramas that comprise the artistic life of people who can't help but make something where before there was nothing. Subscribe, listen, and enjoy Change Lab wherever you listen to podcasts. On today's episode of Beyond the Studio, just like last week where Nicole interviewed me and we did a little update on what I've been up to since we started the podcast, this week we are doing the same, but I am interviewing my co-host, Nicole Muller. Nicole, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. (laughs) If this is your first time listening, Nicole and I co-host this podcast together, Uh, About four years ago when we started the podcast, she and I interviewed each other to kind of give a basis on where we're coming from and what we've been through and our artistic backgrounds. But now, four years later, we have found that so much has changed in our lives, in our work, in the advice we would give. So we thought it would be great to give a chance to do an updated interview and see where where we've been over the last few years. So Nicole, welcome back to our podcast. And uh, do you want to give a little intro to yourself? Oh, sure. Good idea. I think I completely skipped over that in our last episode and just jumped right into your story. But <laughs> um, if you're new to the podcast, uh, like Amanda said, typically we co-host all of these interviews together. Um, I am a painter, installation artist. I sometimes paint murals. I like to work really large scale. And I am currently based in San Francisco, California. Amanda and I met in Baltimore. Uh, We went to art school together at the Maryland Institute College of Art. And we started Beyond the Studio in 2017 when I had just moved out to California. Um, So that's kind of where I was uh, when we first recorded our interviews with each other. And um, yeah, a lot has happened in the last year alone, but definitely the last three to four years. So should I don't know if you want me to just dive into <laughs> the recap. Or... Yeah, I mean, my, my, first, my first interview question would be, <laughs> what has changed in your life since we last interviewed you? 
Um, I know in that interview, we talked about your move. We talked a little bit about uh, you just, you know, getting established in a new place. You were working on different professional projects and had totally different job circumstances and studio situations. So if you want to kind of just catch us up a little bit on the last four years, I guess, the the timeline of where you've been, and uh, then we can kind of dive deep into different parts and, and, and whatnot from there. Yeah, in 2017, I just moved out to San Francisco from Baltimore and left a job I was working in college admissions uh, for the art school that we went to. And my goal was to start shifting the focus onto growing my studio practice, um, which I think is something that, you know, I always wanted or kind of aspired to dedicate myself full time to. And I had a bit of momentum with painting sales in Baltimore. And I started working part-time at SFMOMA, the art museum, out here. But I think, um, and this wasn't really covered in that initial interview, uh, because I think this was all within, you know, the first few months of making this move. But uh, looking back, I I think I'd sort of underestimated what the transition to, to moving to a new city would be like. Um, and the cost of living in the Bay Area. And so I yeah. I don't think... What, San Francisco is more expensive than Baltimore? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're listening outside the U.S., then um, the, San Francisco is the most expensive rental market in the country. Um, so it's a tough place for, for artists, you know, and I don't know if I was fully prepared to make the transition into being an artist full-time. And some of the things that I would have been able to do in Baltimore to kind of fill in the gaps or make ends meet, um, like I was doing a lot of dog sitting and dog walking and, um, you know, I could kind of piece together different creative freelance projects. It just that even that supplemental income wasn't nearly enough here. And so after a few years of working part time uh, and slowly trying to build my studio income while living in the Bay Area, I had accrued a lot of debt trying to make this career change while making ends meet, and um, I just realized that I needed to make a change, and so I shifted gears and started applying to other roles. Um, So this was around 2018 or 2019, um, a few years into being in California. And you know, I'd had some momentum uh, with my studio work. It wasn't as if things weren't happening. I'd had a couple opportunities to exhibit my work, and um, you know, I was taking on projects here and there, and building new relationships and, you know, selling the occasional painting, but it just wasn't substantial enough for that to really be my full-time focus. But really working on the podcast had given me this personal mission of expanding professional practices for artists, and I really missed working in the art school environment and the community um, that that provided. And so in early 2019, I began working for California College of the Arts in the career development office, uh, first as a career engagement advisor, working with design and architecture students, um, and then promoted into an assistant director role, working with fine arts and humanities students. And I really enjoyed that work, um, and that was a couple of years of my full-time day job. Um, so working in arts administration has been, uh, you know, the kind of other end of my career, along with building my studio practice. Um, so fast forward to 2020, um, it was really a wild and unexpected year for the reasons that you might think. 
I, I actually had my most financially successful year to date, but a, a lot of that was, or some of that was going towards paying off that debt that I had accrued um, those first couple of years in San Francisco. So I had started working on a large commission at the end of 2019 for a sculptural installation in an office space. And this was my biggest commission um, to date at the time. And unfortunately, that project was canceled midway through 2020, but I was able to use the deposit to pay off a lot of my debt. Um, And then later that summer, I sold a couple of large paintings out of the blue um, and was able to wipe out the rest of that debt. So by the end of 2020, I was finally debt-free and it really felt like a weight had been lifted. And we'd recorded an episode at the end of 2020 Uh, called Gratitude, Debt, and Personal Growth, uh, where we really talked a lot more about that year in particular, and I think I shared more details about that process. But by the end of the year, I was really feeling burnt out and hadn't gotten a lot of time in the studio at all, uh, just with the stress of the pandemic and being focused on transitioning to working remotely, my full-time day job, um, and the demands of, you know, working in arts administration. And so I, to be honest, wasn't sure how much longer I could juggle working full-time with pursuing a studio practice and working on the podcast. So I think I was just, you know, at a point of reevaluating. But then everything really changed again for me at the start of 2021, when I was contacted about this really large painting commission. And if you've been following me personally on Instagram, then you know what happens next. But in April of this year, I left my day job working in career development at CCA to take on this large project and pursue my painting practice full time. Uh, So the last six months have really been a wild ride of completing this huge painting project and transitioning into a full-time artist. And that sort of brings us up to present day. Um, We just finished that project, uh, so I just installed that commission earlier this summer and have just been spending time getting set up in my studio here in San Francisco and slowly getting started on some new work. I definitely want to talk about your painting commission and kind of the behind the scenes process of that. But before doing that, um, and this might be a little bit redundant with what you just talked about, but do you feel like that commission was really what gave you the opportunity to, you know, just doing art full time and stepping out of your day job? Or had you had you had kind of a, a timeline in your head previously or you were just like here's the opportunity let's go oh 100 percent um i really never thought i would be in a position to make that change so soon you know i had just paid off all of this debt at the end of 2020 and it felt like i had this clean slate uh, to finally be able to think about the future and um, you know when you're trying to work yourself out of debt it sort of feels like every project that comes in is just trying to get you back to square one. You know, you're just trying to catch up. And so I felt like all of this hustling and, you know, all of these side projects were really just going to pay myself back or to to pay this down. So having that weight lifted was really freeing and 
gave me the space to think about what the future could look like in a way that, you know, maybe I, I didn't feel like I was able to before, but I, I definitely didn't think that, you know, within the next six months that I would be leaving my day job to pursue art full time. So I can tell you what I thought it was going to look like and then what had actually happened. But, you know, I, I was starting to get larger commissions, which had also been a goal of mine. You know, when I thought about the path towards becoming a full time artist, I was thinking that you know, I would be selling work, but also starting to take on more site-specific projects or commissioned work um, for for larger pieces, whether they were paintings, murals, or installation work. Um, So any opportunity I had for an exhibition or to do some type of, you know, temporary project, I tried to kind of leverage to expand my studio practice in a way. So I had done some personal personal projects or pieces for shows that were, um, you know, a little more DIY, but sort of in line with the type of work that I was wanting to get hired to do. And so, you know, that was slowly starting to to happen. And um, I had just gotten that one large uh, commission for a sculptural installation that I mentioned. And I think the budget for that was like 25 grand. So that was also about the amount of debt that I had that I was trying to pay off. Uh, So at first I thought, oh, this is, you know, this amazing project is going to kind of help, you know, catapult me in that direction. And even though I was able to pay off that debt, it didn't really look quite like I'd planned because the project got canceled and, you know, all of those things. But I, I guess I was thinking that I would, and that's, you know, that's a big budget to work with, but it wasn't enough for me to feel like I could quit my job, you know? So I was just thinking that I would be building up and taking on a number of these projects to either create some sort of safety net for myself or until I felt like I had, you know, a steady stream of projects lined up where I could kind of make make that transition. That was what I was imagining was going to happen is I would just continue to try and, you know, line up a number of projects with, you know, successively larger budgets or uh, like a variety of smaller things. So when this one really huge project came up, it, it, you know, wasn't completely expected or, you know, what I thought it was going to look like. But the actual decision to leave my day job was surprisingly easy. Um, And it was mostly a financial decision. You know, had it been, again, a smaller project, I don't think I would have Um, felt comfortable or like I had enough of a safety net in order to do that. But I knew when the check I received for the deposit was almost an entire year's salary at my day job at that point that I was in a position to finally make that change. And there was also no way that I could say yes to a project of that scale or commitment level and maintain a day job, um, given the timeline of the project. You know, it just wasn't something that I could complete on nights and weekends. So I really had to make the decision to, to go all in. And I have to say that it also factored into the way that I quoted the project. You know, when I was first contacted about it, and um, I I knew the scope of work. I had gotten this email from these art consultants that I had worked with in um, early 2021. And I had to come up with a quote for this project. And I, you know, I knew when their installation 
date was uh, sometime early this summer. Um, so I was going to have only a couple of months to work on it. And I had to, you know, kind of price price out materials and uh, develop this quote really quickly. But knowing that it was probably going to require a kind of total life change if it went through, um, I also had to break down, you know, what would be worthwhile for me in order to make that change. And I needed that, you know, the take-home pay from the project to at least be uh, amount to what my, my year's salary at my day job would have been. So it's also something, you know, I was thinking about when I was first contacted that I knew I couldn't, couldn't do it for less. And so the quote, you know, came through what I thought the project expenses were going to be. Um, but it was also thinking about, you know, what, uh, what would be required of me and sort of leaving behind this steady job that I had. So that was uh, just a little bit of the expectation versus reality of going full-time it really came down to, you know, looking at the financial end of it. Um, how much runway did I feel comfortable with, and um, how much was going to be required of my my time going into this? Yeah. So for you, it was really about making sure that you were kind of set for the next year of creating work. And I think for a lot of people, it's hard to figure out what their personal safety net looks like, like when is the right time to make a jump like that. And for some, it might be a smaller project. Obviously, everyone's expenses are going to be different. And that number, depending on where you live and what your work looks like, um, and kind of where you are in your career or whatever, that will all, all be different. But I think it's helpful to get an idea of what someone else's safety net kind of looks like, where it's like, okay, so you you want to be set for a year. You need to make sure that like you have a year to build up a portfolio to like make you through the following year. And yeah, that's really helpful. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And I think having some kind of plan or strategy in place, like you're saying too, for how you're going to generate new projects or bring in new work is really important um, because that's something that you know, I thought I had, but I really didn't when I came out to California. Um, I, I think the way that I approached my work was much more organic. And, you know, I was doing some cold calling and reaching out to people, but it wasn't in any kind of like systematic way. Or I wasn't like putting together spreadsheets of, you know, who I'm going to contact or how many people I'm going to reach out to per week in order to share my work or let them know that I'm seeking freelance work or whatever it is. So I think you know, making sure that you have that financial buffer, whatever that looks like for you, along with a plan for how you're going to continue to generate income through your your work is, is really important. So those two things combined, I would say. And um, I do think there were some kind of unique factors that went into my decision. You know, I was fortunate enough to have just paid off a lot of this debt at the end of 2020 that I had. Um, so I felt like I was sort of starting fresh. Um, and then again, you know, I had enough runway to feel confident that I could um, kind of build things into a, a more sustainable career. So I felt like I was just at a moment in my career where I was ready to do that too. But, you know, for, for some, I think maybe maybe three to six months is plenty or, you know, again, whatever that looks like is is a personal decision. But I do think it's important to just talk about how kind of practical the decision can be um, because sometimes when we have this conversation around transitioning full-time it can sound very um, 
emotional or, you know, it's really about following your passion and making the leap or taking this leap of faith. And um, there's always an element of risk, I think, but sometimes the language that we use to talk about that change can make it sound like it was sort of spontaneous or just something that, you know, we felt compelled to do as opposed to making sure that you're sitting down and also looking at the numbers and, you know, your circumstances may be totally different if you're listening and you have a family or you're in a partnership or you're married or not married. I mean, all of these things are factors that may influence your decisions. So I do just want to emphasize that, uh, you know, I think it is really, really personal. But uh, for me, it really had a lot to do with the financial end. Yeah, I think it's really easy to get wrapped up in thinking about like the mindset of becoming your own boss when there are so many practical logistical things that you have to take into consideration and I think it can be hard to get super specific because everyone's circumstances are so different and what that number looks like or or what that process looks like is going to be different from person to person I'm curious and this is just diving in more to your project and this I think is one of the questions that you got submitted on Instagram, I believe. But what are your thoughts on being overwhelmed with the project on a tight budget or on a tight schedule, big budget, things going wrong? Um, I guess expanding on that, how did you kind of come up with the budget? How did you come up with the schedule? How did you, it can be specific to your most recent painting commission or any project. Like how do you figure out what you're presenting to the client and make sure that you're, you're covered through the process? which is like a lot of questions. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm happy to walk through um, the process and how the project came about. Um, so I think I mentioned that I was contacted by an art consultant, um, which I had worked with in the past. And that's how a lot of projects have come up for me for things like site-specific commissions or murals or paintings is um, sometimes, you know, a business might reach out, but often it's through an art consultancy or some kind of group that's being hired by this business um, to source artists. And so often they're the ones that are putting together proposals. Um, They might include a variety of artists' work, and then it's up to their client to decide, you know, what they want to move forward with. So sometimes I'll get inquiries for things like this, and you just never know what's going to work out, but they want to get a sense of, you know, how would you approach this? Uh, What would you, what would you quote for a project like this? So it just sort of means that you're in the mix of being considered amongst, you know, other artists they might be looking at. So my process for quoting projects varies um, because the work I do is somewhat interdisciplinary. For paintings, I have not quite a formula, but, you know, I'm thinking about the scale. um, So I've come up with like a a square footage or a square inch price, depending on um, the scale of the work. And it's a little bit of a sliding scale. So that's how I try and come up with pricing for uh, paintings that I create in the studio. And then for murals, uh, it's it's similar, but it's based more on square footage. And, you know, I might be thinking about the complexity of the, the work, too. And for installations or, you know, commission-based work, it's usually based on scale um, along with material costs. So if there are things like, in the case of this last project, stretcher bars that needed to be fabricated, you know, canvas, paint that needs to be purchased... Because of the scale, so this was, I don't know if I even mentioned what the project was, but it was two uh, giant paintings that were each about 17 by 15 feet for a renovated lobby in Washington, D.C. 
And I'd first gotten connected with this art consultant back when I lived in Baltimore. Um, by the way, this is just a bit of an aside, but I had reached out to them within the first couple of years of being out of art school. And so this had been kind of a slow burn, just building this relationship with them over seven or eight years. And they'd, you know, periodically sold my paintings over time. But when this project came up, it was, you know, sort of years in the making in terms of uh, having worked with him in the past. Um, and then I was just lucky enough to sort of be chosen for this commission um, based on the work that uh, the client had seen. Uh, anyways, when it came to quoting this particular project, um, you know, I was thinking about what else was going to go into it. So I would have needed to rent a separate studio space, you know, some kind of a warehouse or a place with really tall ceilings that I could make these paintings in. I was going to be looking at either renting or purchasing scaffolding or a scissor lift. So you're just kind of running through, you know, what are what are the potential costs um, and then coming up with a ballpark based on that. And I always like to add in, I would say to always overestimate. So, um, you know, if you think, let's say travel to DC for the installation, um, you do a quick Google search for flights and it's you know, $200 round trip. Well, I would probably double that or, you know, you just want to give yourself buffer for like all of those kind of unexpected costs or, or contingencies. So that's, that's usually what it looks like when somebody reaches out, you're just trying to kind of do these quick calculations or maybe reaching out for quotes. Um, like I have no idea what it costs to build giant stretcher bars. Um, but I think I just immediately started emailing or calling around to other framers or fabricators uh, to get their quote on what that part of the project would cost. Um, so then you're kind of adding all those things together. And I think, like I mentioned, um, once I had a, a sense of what percentage of the overall project budget was going towards expenses, then I could calculate, all right, you know, take out my 30% for taxes. Um, and then what am I left with? And is that number going to be enough to cover my personal living expenses for the next, you know, three, six, 12 months? So that's sort of how I developed it. And this was the first six-figure project that I quoted and the first one that I landed. So it was definitely a little scary yeah. sending that email off, um, but I felt confident in you know, having done the math and um, come up with what I felt like was a, a fair but uh, realistic quote, um, given, uh, again, the amount of time and what would go into it. So... That's a little bit on the budget piece. And then um, throughout the process, just uh, making sure you're tracking everything. So I created a spreadsheet just so that I could keep track of, you know, everything that I was spending towards this, this project from trips to the hardware store to bigger expenses like studio rental or again, paying fabricators. You know, I wanted to make sure that I had a good sense as I was going of, whether I was on track and then be able to reflect at the end of the project on did what I quoted or what I thought this was going to cost align with the actual expenses so that I have that information going forward. And the timeline was kind of determined for me. I mean, I think that's often the case, you know, when you're doing commission work is um, they might have an installation date in mind uh, that has to do with maybe when the building is opening or when construction is finishing. Um, so usually with projects like this, you know, the artwork might be one element of like a big renovation or um, construction on a new space. So, you know, there's other timelines that um, other people are, are kind of managing. And 
So they let me know when they reached out in, I think, February or March that their um, installation deadline was in June. June or July. We ended up installing end of July, so it you know did get pushed back a little bit, but it was um, still a pretty pretty tight you know turnaround, and so we really had to work purposefully to you know as soon as the deposit came through, I you know I I turned around designs or sketches for the paintings within uh, like a week or two, and you know I immediately paid the fabricator so they could get started on building the supports and you know it's sort of setting all these things in motion so that the the project was able to wrap up within the designated timeline and the actual painting itself only took uh, six weeks uh, from from start to finish but the actual whole project was probably um, between four to five months um, so a lot of the time was really spent on communications and research, you know, installation, sort of everything else. Um, whereas the the painting was really just one kind of piece of the project. Yeah, and I know we just talked about this on in our DMs, but I'm I know a lot of that time was also waiting for materials <laughs> because supply chains are very disrupted, and uh, it's still you know from the pandemic, and it's still affecting all spheres. I mean, I know my experience is the same thing as at his work and I do with mine, but uh, it's surprising how much how much waiting there is involved. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and there's some things that are going to be out of your control. So I think, you know, it's always best to be really open and communicative with your client about whatever that is. Um, some things will just take as long as they take. I mean, I certainly did my best to accommodate this timeline, especially given the budget and given, you know, that this this was my full-time focus. So I really did my best in order to meet these deadlines. But I think, especially if you're working with other partners like fabricators or installers, you know, they have their own schedules and timelines. So I think the project management aspect is really important as the artist, you know, so even if you're working with an art consultant, for example, on on a project, you know, they can certainly assist with those things. But I think if you're wanting to take on commission work, being able to kind of manage those different elements is really helpful and making sure that you're communicating with everyone involved, you know, what, what the timelines are so you can find out what's realistic to expect. And um, sometimes there are greater costs associated with doing something faster. I know that was a big uh, conversation around shipping the work um, because I painted them here in San Francisco and we had to ship them cross country to get to Washington, D.C. Um, and in order to meet this timeline, you know, we we didn't have a lot of time in order to get them uh, from the West Coast to East Coast. So, you know, there's greater expenses associated with that. And so I would say also um, when quoting a project and before getting started on any work, you know, you're obviously want to make sure that you wait until you have the deposit in, but having a contract is really important um, that sort of outlines all of these expectations so that if anything unexpected does happen, especially things that are out of your control, you're, you're sort of protected or that's not eating into your, your, your budget. And, you know, there's more room for negotiation there. So that's something I would also say to artists looking to get into taking on commissioned or project-based work is to make sure that you're kind of outlining all of these expectations within the contract and that you work all of those things out before you get started. 
this is like a random question. When you're giving someone a budget, do you, and again, if this is not interesting, we can totally cut this out. Do you give like an itemized budget or are you just an estimate of like, here's the cost of the painting project and here's what that involves? Or are you like, I don't know. I'm trying to think versus how we do, how we put together our budgets for doing grants and stuff. How do you propose a budget for like a commissioned project? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Yeah, because we've applied for a handful of grants uh, for Beyond the Studio. And for those applications, they typically request a budget uh, to know what the grant money is going to be used for. And that is really specific. So you are itemizing out all of your costs and projections for (laughs) what you think things are going to cost. But with commissions, I would say it's really different, actually. I would I never itemize things um, because, again, you just don't know. Like, the cost of paint today could be different tomorrow because of supply chain disruptions. So when I was talking about doing those calculations to come up with the quote, that was really for my own personal knowledge to have a sense of yeah. what percentage or, you know, what, what the, the expenses were going to look like. Um, but I was just giving them a range uh, for the the quote itself. So, you know, between this and this, like on the low and the high end. So that gives you some buffer too, in case, you know, b- before you're sort of under contract, uh, something new comes up. Maybe they say, hey, we want to move the deadline up a month. And then, okay, maybe this is going to fall on the higher end of the quote. Or, you know, based on the reaction, they could say, you know, our budget is this and what can we do to sort of bring the cost down? And so it leaves room for conversation, I think. So I usually provide a range so that they don't feel completely locked in to one specific number. But the other thing I should have mentioned that I would also ask if you're contacted about a project is to find out what the budget is from the beginning so that you know, you know, if it's worth your time and do they do they have a budget in order to do do this? And then does it align with um, you know their vision for what they want to do? So the timeline of this was so fast. I think you know I was contacted about about this project and had like 24 hours to come up with a quote. So sometimes that's how it happens. And uh, so I you know came up with it, and then I found out what the budget was soon after. And you know fortunately those things were aligned. But I think it's always worth asking up front, um, maybe even before you provide a quote, um, just, you know, what's their budget? Because that'll give you a sense, too. If they say it's it's 10 grand, well, then, OK, maybe your range is 8 to 12. So they have room to you can, you know, kind of sell them on your vision to increase it a little bit or you know there's ways that you could bring it down. But if they say, you know, oh, our budget's 15 grand, then. Um, that's different than quoting the 10 grand project. So I just, I think it could, you know, changes what you're presenting to them. So it's a good idea to ask. But yeah, I I wouldn't give them an itemized list. Um, I usually just give them a range. Um, and then even when you're under contract, you know, to whatever number you've sort of landed on, but kind of building in room for, you know, if something unexpected comes up, for example, that that there's some protection there, um, or you know there might be additional costs. And then putting limitations on things like the number of revisions you're doing, for example. Um, and then yes. you know if they want more than that, sure, of course, you know, here's the additional fee. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think these are, are good things. You know, it's definitely not something that I 
learned in art school or, uh, you know, even the first couple of years when I was doing a lot of commercial mural painting as my day job was really taught. It was a lot of learning through trial and error and trying to piece together resources for coming up with contracts and pricing your work. So, you know, it's really tough to find that information sometimes. And so I think some of it comes through experience and any personal project I've done, I I try and track, you know, what the expenses are um, so that I have some frame of reference if I'm asked to quote a similar project. But I really think that, you know, it can take some research and time to kind of build up to a point. And so it definitely, uh, you know, I felt like when this project came up, I was at a point in my career where I was really ready for it. So some of these challenges or things that were potentially stressful um, were problems that I was excited to solve, Um, you know, and especially after having this year of um, not really being able to get into the studio and just feeling burnt out in general, um, the prospect of getting to take on something this large scale was um, just really exciting to me. So I think finding the space and researching the materials and kind of, you know, figuring out the shipping and all of this was um, just something that I was really ready and excited to dive into. And so there was definitely research, but I didn't feel in over my head in not knowing whether or not I would be able to kind of take on a project like this. So I think there was some building up to it as far as having done maybe not quite this large scale or you know working with quite quite as big of a budget but having done some larger projects for exhibitions or done some smaller commissions um, so it was definitely uh, you know there were some stepping stones to get here sometimes learning the hard way through going over budget on a project or not paying yourself enough or not being able to kind of execute it to the best of your ability or you know whatever it is Yeah, I remember when uh, this is throwing it back to my first interview with you. Um, I remember you had talked about how you had funded a uh, like a residency experience, like an art residency experience through Kickstarter, but you had kind of underestimated some of the expenses involved, like shipping and whatnot, and like getting uh, the like fulfillment things out to people. I feel like we take all of those experiences that we have and apply them to the the next, you know, the future problems that we face. And I feel like you are really good at taking on new types of projects and like trying to make art in new ways and with new materials and with different types of uh, fabrications. And I'm curious about your process to approaching something you've never done before where you have an idea and you're like, I don't know how to make this happen, but I'm going to make it happen and how you've done that in the past and like what you would think about moving forward. And then, well, I'll just ask that question. I, I won't make it like multi-prong. <laughs> yeah, I I think I try and use, you know, those personal projects or maybe it's a chance to exhibit my work um, as an opportunity to expand into something new or maybe to try something that I hadn't done before. So the first um, 
sort of installation-based project I did was for the first solo exhibition I had in Maryland at a space called VizArts, uh, which is a nonprofit art space in Rockville, Maryland. And they had um, this, you know, large gallery space on the ground floor with these floor-to-ceiling windows. And the light that came in through the gallery um, was really inspiring to me and kind of aligned with other ideas I was thinking about uh, related to color and light and looking at um, painters that had worked in stained glass. And so I wanted to try and do something with the windows in that space to activate the natural light that was coming into the gallery. Um, So I did this collage-like installation using transparent colored Duralar that was basically just taped up to the windows, um, but created that kind of stained glass effect I was after. And, you know, it was pretty DIY. It was a temporary project, but it allowed me to visualize, you know, these collage-like elements of my paintings in a new way. And it gave me a sense of what, you know, maybe doing something on a bigger scale or that was site-specific, Um, or that was more permanent would be like. So, um, you know, the next show then I was using transparent color vinyl that was a little more durable and polished and not just film taped up on the window. But, you know, so every project I think uh, is kind of a chance to build on an idea or try something new. And I think your work kind of evolves like that over time. So then, you know, the next show that I had in California, I wanted to explore what those colored window films would look like in three dimensions. And they had this uh, two-story atrium in the gallery that I laser cut uh, acrylic pieces and suspended them from the ceiling to hang in front of the windows and create that similar stained glass effect. But, um, you know, give me a chance to try working in three dimensions for the first time. And so there are always challenges um, with every new uh, discipline or project. But I think, you know, it's not like the first first time I, you know, did a project like that was for a big commission. You know, typically you're working things out in the studio or, um, you know, you're giving yourself that safe space of um, an exhibition to kind of play around and experiment or maybe, you know, spend too much on materials or figure out what works and what doesn't. And that's all kind of learning that you can take into the next thing so that, you know, once you sort of have that project in your portfolio and you are getting hired to do similar work, you you have, you know, you've had that experience um, and you have a better idea of what is going to go into the next thing. So, you know, even though this big painting commission, um, you know, these were the largest paintings on canvas I'd done. I had painted large scale murals in the past. Um, I knew what it was like to work at a large scale. You know, I had done other commissioned projects. I had, you know, experience with project management and communications and, you know, those logistical things through years of working in arts administration. So I think all of those things build on themselves and you kind of take it with you into the next experience. Yeah. I want to zoom out a little bit. Um, I know we've talked about your recent commissions a lot. And we talked a little bit about the previous interview with you. I know I listened back. 
I don't know if you had any notes or thoughts about your previous interview and like changes in life and perspective that you're like, I actually feel differently about that now or anything like that. Oh my gosh. Any retractions? (laughs) (laughs) It's such a hard question because I think it can be, it feels kind of harder or vulnerable to listen back to yourself. You know, these interviews that we recorded years ago and I'm sure I'll feel the same way, you know, a few years from now listening back to this and um, I guess it's a good sign that, you know, you're growing and evolving. But I think when I listen back, I just feel like we were so young and <laughs> so much has changed. And I don't know if it's so much um, things that I, you know, I no longer agree with, but I feel like um, just so much has happened in our, our work and lives. And so it's, you know, I look at it as sort of capturing a moment in time. And I think that way with all of our interviews that, you know, we try and cover the scope of an artist's life or story, but there's really only so much that you can put into an hour, an hour and a half long conversation. And what might be true for them in that moment isn't necessarily going to be, uh, or to resonate, you know, a a year from now even. So I think they're all, um, kind of glimpses into a moment in time. And so I look back at that interview as, reflective of you know where I was at and like what my hopes were what I was thinking having just moved out to a new city after being in Baltimore for eight years and you know there's a little bit of I guess you know reassurance or it does give me hope that the things that maybe we were just starting to work on or you know I was talking about taking on large-scale commissions and kind of building up my studio practice in different ways. And so it is exciting to feel like some of those things have really come to fruition or they are happening. And I think in the moment it can, you just don't always know, I think, especially with creative careers where you're defining success for yourself, you're kind of inventing your own path as you go along. And, you know, you can kind of use other artists as a frame of reference. And I know a lot of what we hope to do with Beyond the Studio was to create create that frame of reference for people to be really honest about other artists' career paths so that, you know, artists listening could have some guideposts when, you know, we're all trying to kind of invent our own creative careers uh, and figure out what that looks like for us individually. But I think um, it's hard to know in the moment what is going to stick or what, you know, several years from now is going to kind of manifest and what it's all going to look like. So it is really great to be able to listen back to some of those early interviews and realize, you know, wow, these things have actually started to to happen now. And um, I just have to remind myself of that at this time, because even now, you know, I'm thinking of how do I take the momentum from that project and bring it into the next one? Or am I going to be able to kind of line up and sustain enough projects to keep me going after this year? And, you know, all of these questions. And so I think there is an element of trust in, you know, the things that you're doing now, um, they are going to manifest into opportunities in the future. And I think especially when you're starting out um, as an emerging artist, it can be hard to see that um, because you just don't know what, what it's going to look like. But I really look at, you know, that early period as, you know, us kind of planting a lot of seeds and, you know, now we're starting to be able to harvest some of them. But 
I think you're always kind of, you're always planting seeds just to use that metaphor, you know, and still planting. Yeah. But I think, uh, you know, that's something I, I wish maybe I would have. It's, it's nice to see that in hindsight. And if I could sort of, you know, tell my younger self something just (laughs) to trust that, you know, those seeds that you're planting, you know, you'll, you'll be able to harvest them eventually. Yeah. And I think that's such great advice because it's very easy um, as humans to focus on the negative. So I think when we are planting our seeds and, and trying to put ourselves out there, it's really easy to focus on the stuff that doesn't work and the seeds that don't take root or don't take root right away. And you think like, oh, this is it. Like opportunity has passed. I have failed. But there are so many times where relationships that started years ago finally build into a professional collaboration or you know someone that you met years ago might become a client anything could happen yeah absolutely (laughs) Um, I'm curious how over the last few years of podcasting what you've kind of taken away from beyond the studio through our conversations through just having a, a totally different type of creative business that you're a part of yeah, what are what have you learned beyond the studio? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, where to start? I know a lot of what we've been talking about too has to do with our own personal, you know, our, our personal work as artists and how you're kind of like planting these seeds and, you know, experimenting in the studio and those will eventually lead into other things. But I think even with all of that, I'm not sure that had it not been for Beyond the Studio, I would be in a position to have just left my day job and been doing this full time. Um, I think there's just been so much on the business end of things that I've taken away from every conversation that, I mean, that's really the differentiator for me because, you know, as artists, like we're, and we both went to art school. So I think we were trained to focus on the work and, you know, I'm sure that over the course of my life and many, many years, you know, I could continue to grow a studio practice and my, my work would continue to grow and develop. And I think, you know, if you're persistent and you can find a way to keep making your work, that that type of growth is, you know, maybe a little bit inevitable, but I do feel really fortunate and I really do credit the conversations that we've had on the podcast to being in this position where, you know, I was able to figure out a way for my painting to support me financially and to be the thing that I could focus on full time. Because I know that a lot of artists don't get that opportunity. And, and it's not to say, I mean, that doesn't necessarily have to be the goal. I know for me, it was a question of time. You know, I was just feeling, again, burnt out on working day jobs and the podcast and studio work. And so, you know, really for, since, you know, the first couple of years out of art school, I think I had the goal in my head that eventually I wanted to find a way to make this my full-time focus. And um, so there's been, you know, some intention over time and lots of trial and error, but I really think the conversations that we've had on Beyond the Studio have illuminated a path forward for what that could actually look like, um, because I, I definitely didn't know Um, how to make that happen, you know, just out of art school or even on moving out to San Francisco. I just knew that, you know, it was a goal that I had and I felt hopeful. Um, Maybe it has something to do with the high cost of living out in the Bay Area, but 
there was a sort of seriousness in the artists that I met, um, you know, with the way that they were treating their work. And there was this kind of entrepreneurial spirit in the people that I was meeting. And some of it, I, you know, I think you just have to be here um, because the cost of living is so high. But I also, you know, I had this sense that maybe it was possible, um, but it was really conversations with um, artists that we've had. And, you know, I'm thinking about the interview we did with Wendy Chen, um, who's a San Francisco-based fiber artist who's done a lot of um, large-scale commercial commissions, um, talking about how she approaches client-based work that, you know, was eye-opening for me. And we've talked with lots of other painters and muralists like Katie Ann Gilmore, um, who's based in LA and also done a lot of commercial work. And so it just started to create this sense for me of what was possible um, from other artists who were kind of making it work. And I think, you know, beyond that too, it's just really opened up a whole new community for us and allowed, I mean, besides the ways that it's really directly influenced the way that I approach my own career and taught me, you know, how, how to manage a project or how to quote, you know, things <laughs> and how to, I don't know what else, like, what does your day-to-day look like? And, you know, how do you kind of yeah. develop, like, what are the various income streams? Um, and what are some of the ways that you've been able to generate projects for yourself? Or how did you get that exhibition opportunity? I mean, those are all, you know, just examples of questions that we've asked other people on Beyond the Studio that have been really informative for me. But more than that, I think just the community that it's created for us and, you know, giving us an excuse to reach out to people that we admire and look up to and develop friendships and working relationships with them. And so I think it's really kind of launched this whole new new aspect of, of the work. You know, I think my my studio work is fulfilling in one sense. It's definitely collaborative in that you, you know, might be working with fabricators or art consultants, but, um, you know, it's a lot of solo work too. And I think the podcast um, has been much more community oriented and it's really sparked this like commitment to, to this mission of broadening the conversation around professional practices. And, you know, I'd like to think or hope that we might be examples of that, that, you know, four years into running the podcast now, like looking at how much our own lives and careers have evolved as, as a result, you know, I think that there is real power in being transparent and in getting to pick the brains of other artists. Um, Cause I, I know that I definitely wouldn't be kind of where I am had it not been for um, everything that you know, that we've learned through Beyond the Studio. Yeah, I know I can definitely relate to that. And through the podcast, you, I mean, this was really before COVID, but you got a chance to meet some of the folks that we've interviewed on the show. And it's been, I mean, through the podcast, we've been able to get together multiple times. Most recently when you, I mean, that was for your painting commission when you came out to DC and Baltimore, but yeah. um, it is cool that it actually creates real relationships, which I definitely didn't expect. I don't know. Yeah, and it it just makes me excited about the future and, you know, feeling like there is real value in having these conversations um, with each other and being able to share them. 
you know, I think getting listener feedback is always really rewarding um, to hear that, you know, maybe something's resonated with somebody else. But I know just personally for me, like how much we've been able to apply to our own work and lives uh, has, you know, just been really kind of transformative. And so I hope that, you know, it can serve, um, it can play that role for another artist and maybe give them uh, an answer to a question that, you know, they maybe didn't feel comfortable asking or provided some frame of reference for, you know, what their own career trajectory could look like a few years down the road. So I think just having more examples to to pull from on, you know, what does it practically look like to sustain a life as an artist? That's what gives me the most confidence, I think, going forward that, you know, we'll be able to kind of figure out a way to make this work and um, just a little bit more faith and reliance on our own creativity. And I, I think, you know, that's really come from just seeing the, the ways that other artists have been able to make it work. Yeah. Now that I mean, I don't know when we'll actually release this episode, but we're definitely approaching the end of the year. I mean, we're recording this in September, but I feel like now I just see everything seasonally and quarterly. I'm like, Q4. fall's coming, <laughs> winter's coming, Q4, Q4, come on. Um, <laughs> but, and I'm sure we'll probably end up doing a like end of the year podcast kind of reflecting on where we've been and what we want to do, but how are you feeling about your Nicole Miller as the painter, not necessarily podcaster, although you can talk about that too if you want, but what, I guess, what are your thoughts now that you're at this transitional period within your career, what you want your studio and professional and personal life, like what do you want things to look like moving forward? What are your plans and goals? Um, You've been doing a lot of studio reorganizing Sorry, that's like a long-winded question. (laughs) Yeah, I think, I mean, what's next? That's the question, right? (laughs) Right, thank you for summarizing. What's next for Nicole? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, what, you know, what this project really did was give me enough runway to be able to generate new projects and figure things out. And so for that, I am incredibly grateful, um, you know, to take the time in... Uh, finishing this kind of whirlwind six months of work and installing these pieces in DC to coming back to San Francisco and being able to dedicate the next month to completely clearing out my studio and reorganizing and just setting things up in a way that's really functional so that I can begin making new work. And so it is a little bit strange and kind of has its own challenges to come off of a really big project and so just trying to kind of find my way in the studio again and get back into making new work but I also realize that I like working towards deadlines I'm very project driven um, so having you know having things like that to work towards is really motivating for me so Um, I've also been using this period to, you know, get really great documentation of the paintings uh, to do things um, on the administrative side, like update my website, send out email newsletters, uh, reach out to uh, and just reconnect with, you know, people that I've worked with in the past or, you know, haven't been in touch with in a while. Um, I've been sending out a lot of press releases uh, related to the project to see if I can get some more visibility for it. So really trying to take the momentum of 
of this project and and you know I fully expect to have to be really proactive about that <laughs> you know even though um, it's this big installation you know I'm not expecting that all of these projects are just going to start suddenly coming my way you know there have been inquiries that come up and so again you never know what's going to happen like what what's going to come through but um, my next plan is to just be really proactive about outreach. So that's something I started at the beginning of this last year. And then um, when this big project came up, I kind of put it on pause. But I have, you know, a spreadsheet of contacts I've been building over the years of people that um, I might want to work with or, you know, art consultants, architects, interior designers, um, all kinds of people. And so I guess related back to that idea of planting seeds, um, I think just starting to uh, initiate conversation with some of these folks, maybe it doesn't lead into a project right away, but I think just starting to build those relationships is really key. Uh, so I'm kind of using this time to focus on that. So outreach to bring in new commission work um, and then to make new work in the studio so that I have work to show or to sell or just to continue moving my studio practice forward. But concretely, it's hard to say what the next few months will look like. Um, I think there is an element of not knowing. And, you know, I'm, again, feeling lucky to be in this uh, place where I have have time and space to be able to figure out what's next. But my goal is to, you know, be able to, to take on more large scale commission projects. Um, it's something that I really enjoy doing. Um, I love the challenge of working large scale. Um, and, you know, maybe every project won't be at, to the same scale as this last one I completed. But um, I think the goal is to continue doing more work like that. Um, I really love the collaborative aspect the you know elements of project management like we've been talking about i think you know having worked for years in arts administration it sort of uh fills that gap a little bit too and you know i enjoy making work for myself in the studio but i do find a lot of motivation in getting to kind of work on collaborative projects or try and create something that's specific uh to a space yeah Put that out into the universe. Get those big commissions. Get those big painting jobs. Putting it out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you're looking to hire Nicole for some big paintings, you can. <laughs> with, that, with that big painting money. I guess, are there any updated um, tools or resources over the last few years that you would recommend that you're using in your studio or practice that you're like, this is the shit now? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, there have definitely been tools that have been helpful. Uh, some of them are, are very DIY. I mean, I think um, some of the things that I use most often are sort of tools I you know was using years ago. They've just maybe they're a little bit more robust, like Google Spreadsheets and um, honestly spread, <laughs> spreadsheets to keep track of contacts. Especially over time, you know, like when. Uh, just to have a central place, like when was the last time I reached out to this group of art consultants and kind of create a plan for keeping in touch in the future. And as that list grows longer, you know, having some place to track it. I was also just using a basic spreadsheet to track all of the expenses for that project um, so that I had a running tab as uh, things went on of, you know, exactly how much of the budget I was spending on whatever. And I've also, I mean, I use, well, just to give a shout out to our past podcast sponsor, Artwork Archive, 
um, I really do use that as a tool to track the kind of inventory of available paintings I have, and that's become more and more valuable um, to me, especially as I get inquiries about new work or what work do you have available. Um, it's really easy for me to send over a link and everything's right there and constantly updated. And the more work you make, uh, you know, the more important it is to have those tools. So if you have hundreds of paintings in your studio that you've made over the years, it's, you know, you need a central place to be able to track all of those things. I also, something uh, else that I found really helpful that I, I think I read this at the start of 2020 was a book that's come up on the podcast before that was recommended uh, to us. I think by Monique Amy called You Are Badass at Making Money. And <laughs> oh yeah, I started it too. I think I'm still like halfway through, but it really focuses on the mindset piece. Um, so it's not so much about, you know, money ma management or um, personal finance if you're looking for something that's going to tell you how to create a budget, but it really does focus on what you have to do mentally to get to a place where you you know you're kind of welcoming in bigger projects or budgets and this is something that i think you know i really struggled with and i think a lot of artists do um, especially because so much of the work that we do in our studio can be very diy or you know you're putting your own personal investment into things so to make that shift to maybe pricing your work beyond your own personal budget or price point or to quoting large projects um, and just feeling confident in that and being able to communicate the value of your work to different people. Um, I mean, I think all of those things can be a real uh, challenge. And so that book really helped to shift my mindset, um, along with just seeking out, you know, input from and following other artists online who are very transparent about how their pricing work. And so that really helped to broaden my own horizons. And I think had it not been for some of those things, I really don't know if I would have felt comfortable even quoting this large project, or, you know, maybe I would have have put out a much lower bid. And then and that's where the stress comes in. You know, I think when you're working against a tight deadline, you haven't paid yourself well enough, or you haven't accounted for all these expenses. I mean, that's where things get, can get really stressful. Um, so there really was a lot of relief and freedom and feeling like, you know, I can handle these things and it's covered. <laughs> so that's where a lot of the anxiety reduction comes in. So anything that's kind of uh, can help rewrite your own narrative around money, which can be such a loaded topic um, and really taboo in the arts too. So I always appreciate, you know, resources that can kind of help shift our thinking around that. And I'll have to think of more examples because honestly, following other artists online, following, I don't know, like self-help coaches, personal finance experts. Um, I mean, those are the, uh, in addition to following a lot of art accounts, uh, the kind of people that I like following just to continue to train yourself to develop that kind of positive inner mindset. Yeah, I wanted to say, I mean, this is like a comment on something very specific that you said, but I really appreciate how transparent that you have been even in this interview like talking numbers and whatnot because I feel like it is hard to talk money and it is very taboo and 
I know I don't ever feel comfortable asking people like, what do you charge for your time? Or like, what do you, and like, just the fact that like, we're podcast hosts. I mean, we've, we've shared bills, we share bills. <laughs> and I still am like, I, I wonder what she charged for that commission. Like, but I was like, I mean, it's not relevant to my business. So it's not my business to ask. But I appreciate that you put your business out there to help. I mean, it, it helps so much to get that transparency. And I think that a lot of the issues that um, that we have within work culture as a country in how we don't talk about money, how we don't talk about what our time is worth, what we're comfortable charging, what our expenses look like, uh, who helps us, what are, you know, it, it's hard to talk money. And so I, I just appreciate you as a co-host always being transparent about that. And I appreciate that we have this space to talk about that. Numbers are hard, <laughs> but they shouldn't be because like the lack of transparency with talking numbers keeps us all in like lower numbers because we don't, I don't know, we're, we're probably always going to price ourselves a little worse than what we think we could out of, I don't know, unless you're unbelievably confident. I think many artists are not. <laughs> yeah, it's really so hard. And <laughs> I think it reinforces a lot of these systemic issues that we talk about trying to work against or break down. And I think especially this last year where you know, we've all had to think a lot more deeply and reflectively about what equity looks like and, you know, how to how to create <laughs> more equity in our in our personal lives, in our communities, in our workplaces. Um, I think that lack of transparency just helps continues to reinforce existing structures and power dynamics. And so I think especially in the arts where there can be so much opacity um, you know, even though it can feel really uncomfortable um, or sometimes inappropriate to talk about finances, um, I'm also really grateful that we've created an open space to do that on the podcast. Because again, I mean, I, I know, I don't think I even would have thought it possible to like quote a big project like this when I was just out of art school because I had no frame of reference. And, you know, maybe as a consequence, I've been kind of undercharging or, you know, being willing to take on demanding projects for far too less um, for years. And, you know, some of that is just learning through experience, I think. But I do believe now, I think more than I have in the past, that being really transparent about these things is one small way that we can start to, you know, start to create more equity in the arts and in the art world and in the world at large and you know it's not talking about these things is why we have things like the gender pay gap that continue to exist or why people of color are not getting paid as much as uh, you know as a white person for the same role I mean it's you know, some small but not insignificant way because we're just not talking about these things. And so if we're not aware, then it's really hard to create change. So anyways, I, I don't always uh, know when it is appropriate to bring it up or always feel comfortable sharing, but I, I think it's something that I'm trying to be much more open about because I've certainly benefited from those artists and people that are willing to just, you know, lay everything out there. And I feel like that is really empowering to others. So um, just, you know, being able to have 
those conversations without shame or fear or I think it really does help to create some you know small ripple effect and eventual shift in the conversation for sure for sure let's see as we're getting close to wrap wrapping up I think is there anything we haven't talked about yet that you want to make sure we discuss any projects or ideas you want to dive deeper into? I don't think so. I mean, I'm sure there are things we haven't covered, but I guess I just look at this interview as capturing a moment in time, just like the ones we recorded a few years ago. And I'm sure there are things a few years from now that won't feel as relevant or, you know, that will have kind of moved past. But I feel like this is at least representative of where things are currently and I know in past episodes we've gotten to dive much deeper into certain aspects of things we've talked about like that episode um, that we did in 2020 on gratitude debt and personal growth Um, I think you know that one really went into a lot more detail on what 2020 in particular kind of looked like for each of us as artists and um, you know we've had conversations in past topical episodes um, about you know other kind of moments in our life but I think coming off of this big project uh, it definitely feels like another transitional moment and so I'm really grateful that we have this place to kind of talk about uh, talk about it here um, and everything that's changed and it felt like we were long overdue for an update on the podcast on each of our lives. Uh, so it's been fun to kind of reflect back on the last four years even and how much really has changed uh, since we started the podcast um, and in our own personal lives. Yeah, it's wild. Four years is not really that much time, but it feels like we've been through so much with the podcast, but it also feels like we just started it. I'm excited to see where it goes. And I realize there are also two other questions that I forgot about. The other thing I wanted to ask, it may be irrelevant because I feel like we talked about money and budgeting so much, but earlier you mentioned the income pie chart and, or maybe not specifically the income pie chart, but just understanding your various streams of income. And uh, I don't even know time. Was it like a month or so ago when you and I were able to do uh, like be a part of a panel at MICA and we both created these income pie charts to kind of share what our various streams of income were like and I thought we could maybe share yours with the episode with your episode as well if you want oh yeah we can share the visuals of this on our Instagram Um, but yeah it's basically just an income pie chart breaking down our different revenue streams. And I thought yours was really helpful because you've been able to track how that's changed for you and your business, Close Call Studio, over time. I took the sort of average, or I took the sum of all of my art income from the last two years and then grouped it together um, since I just haven't had enough consistency or sort of been, you know, working full-time enough to um, really know. And I think part of it is just the roller coaster of like being a practicing studio artist. You know, in the last two years, I had made more. And first of all, my quote unquote art business has only technically been profitable, as in I've been 
you know, bringing in more than I've spent on art supplies and studio expenses um, for the last like three or four years. Um, and in the last two years, I've made more than all of my other years of working as an artist combined. So it really hasn't been a steady incline, um, at least financially, so much as it's been a kind of slow but then sudden spike within the last two years or so. So all that to say that the pie chart is a little bit reflective of that, and it's also um, a little bit skewed because of this one big commission. But currently, I think it was around 87 or close to 90% uh, is coming through commission projects. Um, so that includes this big painting commission. Um, I've done a handful of murals uh, since then, and uh, the start of that sculptural installation project that was canceled due to COVID. So I think because I've been really intentional about trying to to bring in more um, site-specific projects, and that's one area I've really been trying to grow, um, right now that's really where the bulk of my income is, is coming from. Um, and then it was around 11%, I think, of painting sales. So selling existing work out of my studio or through our consultants. Although maybe in the future, that part of the pie would be a little bit greater, um, again, because it's not skewed by this one giant commission. <laughs> but that's the majority of it right now. And then there's a little slice of the pie uh, that's dedicated to the podcast. So the income that we've brought in through, I guess in the last couple of years, it's been mostly sponsorships, but you know we'd also gotten that grant a few years ago. And um, whatever sort of speaking... Um, or, you know, tiny opportunities come up through that. Um, so that's definitely something I would love to grow. And when I look at the breakdown, um, you know, I'm kind of thinking about like what section of the pie do I want to grow in the future versus what do I want to minimize? And this is exclusive to my art practice. So I, I think this start of this year, my day job at CCA, if I would have included it, would have accounted for maybe another 15%. And then, you know, maybe last year that would have looked uh, like a little bit more of an even split. Um, or I think I was bringing in more from my day job at CCA, like 75 to 25% for my studio practice. So it's definitely shifted. Uh, so I guess looking forward now, you know, I really love to grow that section dedicated to the podcast um, as we're putting more time into it. Yeah. Uh, we definitely love to do more advertise with us yeah <laughs> we're always looking for um sponsors that align with our mission uh that create great resources for artists <laughs> so reach out to us um also speaking i mean i really enjoyed the panel that we did um so I'd love to do more things like that and um and then obviously continuing to um do commission-based work i mean that's really what i'm enjoying right now um and then you know being able to sell paintings out of my studio is great too yeah well i second that mission of increasing our piece of podcast pie um podcast pie. Mm. <laughs> yeah i know i said this earlier but uh is there anything we didn't talk about that you would want to make sure to mention any final thoughts or takeaways um any kind words for me or our listeners you know anything? oh you're just wonderful does remy have have thoughts you're so wonderful <laughs> you amanda you are listeners <laughs> You're all wonderful. 
that's it for this episode of the Beyond the Studio podcast. You can find show notes, references, and a brief summary of the episode over at our website, beyondthe.studio. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our mailing list to find out about upcoming guests, special announcements, and podcast giveaways. 